You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. And if I was in a good mood after a Bears loss last week, you can imagine where I am this week because I am just going to say it, Justin Fields is coming into his own and is becoming what I said on draft day, that he will be the greatest Chicago Bears quarterback in at least the last 70 years. You got to go back to Sid Luckman, who is the GOAT Bears quarterback. And yes, that's from the 1940s. That's the sad state of affairs we're in that we haven't found one quarterback better than Sid Luckman when basically Luckman and Ball were the only two quarterbacks throwing the football. Everyone else was running it 60 times a game. That's how bad the Bears quarterback situation has been. I don't think I'm saying anything that you guys don't already know, but Justin Fields is that level of good. He is going to make Pro Bowls. He is going to make all pros. He is going to be in in conversations for MVPs. He's going to change the way the Chicago Bears are looked at nationally because they have finally found a quarterback. I am that positive after what I saw because, yes, Justin Fields is going to make mistakes. He will continue to make mistakes. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, they still make mistakes. But the bottom line here is, is the special talent the special talent, that throw to Mooney rolling out against his his throwing arm and being able to hit him and that kind of touch and that kind of accuracy and throwing Mooney open and, and kind of the, the scrambler there. Mooney was, was double covered and broke and was able to put his body in a position and Fields knew exactly where to put the ball, checking to the to the Allen Robinson play uh, on the right sideline there and, and getting a big chunk yardage there. What Justin Fields did just showed that he's coming into his own in terms of grasping the NFL game. The NFL game is slowing down for him so he knows what to do with the football. The, the arm talent, the deep throws, the amount of times they gain 20-plus yards on a play time and time again. What he can do with his legs, getting out of trouble, grabbing first downs when he needs to. There's so much there with Justin Fields. He, it, it's just fun to watch. And, when just, and look, this is the best thing I can say about Justin Fields. The drive that he took the lead in at the towards the end of the game was incredible to see him bring the ball down the field, needing and getting that touchdown and getting the Bears the lead. That was remarkable. And did the, did the Bears blow it? Yeah, the Bears blew it, allowed the field goal. But the fact of the matter is, because they only needed a field goal, when Justin Fields came back out there with 30, 35 seconds to go in the game, did you think the game was over? Because I didn't. And if he had 10 more seconds there would have been a legitimate field goal attempt. I mean, Cairo Santos doesn't have the leg for 65 yards. That was clear it was, what, 8, 10 yards short? 
But the bottom line is he got them so close with 30 seconds, you know, no time, just he had nothing. And he still almost got it there. And if he had 40 seconds, I'm convinced there would have been about a 55-yard field goal attempt for the win. So the fact that you can now be in a position where if Justin Fields has the football and they are within striking distance, you are not going to feel like the game is over. Like, I'll, I'll bring back the Minnesota game last year Nick, where Nick Foles got, got hurt, right? In that fourth quarter, whether it was Foles or whether it was uh, Tyler Bray, it didn't matter. There was no hope as a Bears fan that they were going to be able to do anything in that game, right? And I understand how woeful the offense was there. But there was no confidence that they were going to be able to do anything in that game. Anything at all. So the fact that it doesn't it didn't matter who was a quarterback because they just didn't have a quarterback on the roster capable of that kind of that kind of play and putting together that kind of drive with just limited seconds on the clock. That's not the case anymore. The fact of the matter is, is Justin Fields is that kind of special. And the Chicago Bears offense is going to be transformed throughout the rest of this season and for years moving forward because of Justin Fields. So you could sit there and say the Bears lost and that sucks and I'm going to be in a pissy mood. But again, wins and losses do not matter this year. Justin Fields matters this year and Justin Fields is coming into his own. Now, as for the game itself, the defense, I know people are crushing the defense, but guys, Eddie Jackson is a presence in that secondary and you can say he's having a down year and I'm not going to disagree with that. But, you know, his down year isn't being, it's not as bad as people are making it out to be because Eddie Jackson's getting avoided a lot by opposing offenses. That's what he brings. He brings a presence where they go, I don't really want to throw it towards Jalen. I don't want to throw it towards Eddie. And it limits where you can go in the secondary. Now, if you're going to pick on Vildor and Shelly and those guys, you're going to have success because they just don't have the talent in those spots. But when you don't have Eddie Jackson there and all you've got is one guy isolated on Jalen and the quarterback can do whatever he wants with the rest of the secondary because it's so mediocre, that's a problem. When you have a mediocre secondary, if you don't have Matt Quinn and Hicks being able to come after the quarterback to protect that secondary and get a pass rush, that's a problem. So I really liked what I saw from Sean Desai and he knew after that Rams game opening week that he had to make sure he was bringing pressure or his defense wasn't going to be able to operate. He brought pressure. He got pressure. And to the Bears' credit, that defense played very well. But without that pressure, there's no hope. This defense doesn't have the talent. You know, the, the defense is, it, it's, it's, there's, there's a very large talent discrepancy position by position on, on that defense, right? You've got guys that are all pro, pro bowl, all pro level guys like Roquan Smith, like Khalil Mack, like Jalen Johnson, like Eddie Jackson, down here or not, he's that level of, of talent. You've got those guys, right? But then on the opposite side, you've got the Vildors and the Shelleys and, you know, just, you know, like Trevathan, you know, and Ogletree, they're, they're not at that level. And, and Nichols is that, like, they don't have, there's just so many holes in this defense where they have the talent gap, those high-end guys with some scheming from Desai can cover those holes. And they don't, when, when Max gone, and AJ, Roquan Smith can't cover every, everything on the field. There, there's only so much him and Jalen can do. So when you're banged up like that, the, the defense just can't come together. I don't care 
when, when Sean Desai, I, I, I don't, you know, whoever you think is the best defensive mind in, in the history of this, the sport, there's no hope for, you know, you know, Bill Belichick, there's, there's no hope for keeping this defense together when you just have that kind of dearth of talent because they don't have the depth, the depth isn't there. So there's just, there's just not the talent there to help out when, when they have that many injuries. So I'm not going to crush the defense. I'm just going to sit there and say, you know, it's unfortunately the way that defense is constructed, the lack of depth, which is from the lack of mid-round and late-round draft picks that, that Ryan Pace has had from all the trade-ups the last few years. Being in that situation has left them unable to, to you know, hold the boat, so to speak, there defensively. Besides Justin Fields, liked what I saw from Cole Komet. I've, you know, I've been critical of him. I still am critical of Cole Komet in terms of, I don't know if he's ever going to become what he should be based on his draft position of being a high-end second-round pick. I, I don't see the special traits that can make Cole Komet an athletic specimen in the red zone that Fields is going to sit there and know he can, you know, place the ball in a perfect spot and Cole Komet can go out and get it. Jimmy Graham had those kind of athletic traits and still flashes them sometimes in the red zone. Cole Komet, I don't think, has those. So Cole Komet can get a little separation from time to time, work himself in the body of an offense and be useful. He's, he's, he's improved on his blocking. He's, he's doing very well there overall. Uh, you know, I'm not sitting there saying he's George Kittle, but his blocking is, is coming along. But what he was showing is that, you know, with a good quarterback like Justin Fields, Fields will be able to spot him when he does find a soft spot in his zone, when he does beat his guy by a couple steps, which means Cole Komet can develop into a 600-yard, five-touchdown guy, which is a good, you know, you know, above-average tight end. That's not what you wanted when you took him in early in the second round. You took him to be, you know, a difference maker in a Andy Reid offense, that special tight end. Travis Kelsey, I know, is next level, but, you know, that Zach Ertz guy. That's what you drafted Cole Komet to be, and I don't think that's what Cole Komet's ever going to be. But I have to say, did like what I saw out of him there. Offensive line, I thought, played one of their best games of the year. Fields did have some time to throw. Kudos to the offensive line there. Larry Borum, look, wasn't perfect, but he did have some tough assignments and, you know, with T.J. Watnell and did do pretty well. So you have to like what you see from Borum, a fifth-round rookie, Tevin Jenkins looks like he's getting closer and closer to coming back to the point where uh, maybe one of them gets bumped inside at, at guard because of the fact you can't bench Jason Peters, who's arguably been your best offensive lineman to this point this season. You can't bench Peters because you don't want to you know risk anything with fields, but you want to get Jenkins on the field. You want to keep Borum on the field. They actually may have a backlog at tackle, which is remarkable considering where they were a few weeks ago. But the last thing I want to finish up on here before we get to our guest, who is Adam Johns of The Athletic, very excited to have Adam on, is the fact that this game, the way it was officiated, was pitiful. And you have heard me on this podcast, if you listen to it enough, I hate blaming officials. I don't do it unless it is like an egregious call with under like 30 seconds to go where the offense simply doesn't have enough time or the defense for that matter to make up for the bad call. You get a bad call in the third quarter, you still got 20, 25 minutes of football left to, to fix the bad call, to overcome the bad call. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. But I hate blaming officiating. It's a scapegoat tactic. And, and I will give the Bears credit because for the most part, a lot of those bad calls, they overcame them time and time again. 
It was a bad call. They still managed to get in the end zone. They still managed to get points. The defense still manages to get a stop. There, there were a lot of bad calls that the Bears were able to overcome, but they couldn't overcome them all. And, and the fact that that is a problem on Monday Night Football and the NFL to have the goal to stand behind these calls and go, that was the right call, that was the right call. Ha just have enough of a sack, I'm sorry to say that, to just admit that, that you have flawed referees. No one expects a ref to be perfect. Admit you have flawed referees that make mistakes. But they want to pretend that every game that it is impossible for an official to basically impact a win or a loss. They don't want to admit it is as possibility, so they will stand behind these calls as ridiculous as they are. Justin Fields was hit late or or illegally multiple times, and they weren't called. The, the one the one pass interference. I mean, it was a full two steps where he had gotten rid of the ball and he got drilled. You know that that sideline play that, that, that they pointed out. That, that was a helmet-to-helmet -helmet hit as far as I'm concerned. The fact, I don't know if you saw the Jets-Cincinnati game a couple weeks ago, but there was, they went, the, the Cincinnati player, I think it was Hilton, went so low to try and avoid a helmet-to-helmet, -helmet, but still clipped the helmet, and they called that helmet-to-helmet. -helmet. But when, an, when, a, when a player hits Justin Fields, lowers his head and bops it right into his head at the sidelines, that's not helmet-to-helmet. -helmet. Inconsistent calls there. Justin Fields, I don't care if he's a rookie or a 10-year player. If the quarterback is going to be protected, then you protect Justin Fields. And they failed to do that. The, the, the other, the James Daniels, the illegal block, that was a bunch of crap. First off, he didn't hit him. You want to see he gets penalized for an attempted block? That's a bunch of crap as well. But the bottom line there is you were allowed to do that in, in the framework of the pocket from tackle to tackle or, or end, end, whatever the exact window is. Daniels was in it. He was in the interior of the offensive line. So that's not a penalty. But ah, that's that, 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 they'll stand behind that call too, say he was outside of the tackle box. A bunch of crap. These bad calls after bad calls. And the Cassius Marsh taunting when TJ Watt earlier in the game blows a kiss at the Bears sidelines and doesn't get penalized. And Cassius Marsh takes a couple steps and looks at the sidelines for two seconds before he turns around. And then bumps Tony Carrenti, who gives him a hip check, which was strange. What is happening here? What is happening with NFL officiating? Because I've always been one where I say, well, NFL officiating hasn't gotten worse. It's the technology's gotten better to point out the flaws. Where they used to kind of freeze frame the thing and everything was blurry and you couldn't tell if the foot was on the sidelines or not, you know, 15, 20 years ago. That's not the case now. Now we have, we can zoom in, like, like the, they're photographing three inches from their foot and have a crystal clear picture that's rough when officials are looking at games in, in full full speed and trying to make these same calls. But hey, how about we have instant replay and actually be able to criticize officials and, and recall you know calls by officials that they, they might have missed? We we can't do that half the time if it's a penalty. We can't we can't look back at those. So the 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 amount of BS the NFL has in terms of backing up these officials, and look, I don't know what Tony Carrenti was thinking with the with the taunting, but I, I will just say this, and you can, I'm sure you can find this on, on Twitter. Chris Sims uh, of, of NBC said on his show with Mike Florio that when he was playing in a, in a game, I don't remember what game he said, he was the quarterback in that game, he got hit what he felt he got hit late. And he went to Carrenti and said that was, and he, he dropped an F-bomb, he goes, that was an F and late hit. And after that point, Carrenti stopped informing Chris Sims of when they were coming back from commercial break. So Sims didn't know when the, the play clock was starting again. 
And after a couple quarters of this happening, Sims went to Corrente and goes, what's going on? You know, officials always, you know, give a give quarterbacks the heads up of when the play clock's starting, when they're blowing the whistle so we can be on top of it and be ready to go. And Corrente told him, well, you're going to apologize for what you said to me? You, you can't have that in an NFL game. You know, stop being so sensitive, Tony Corrente. Well, I... The fact that these type of things can happen and the NFL continues to support these guys is just remarkable to me. I mean, that game was so poorly officiated that a guy who sits there and never wants to blame the officials and will go after people on Twitter who just want to sit there and blame the officials and say, stop blaming the officials. It's a cop out. That game, you cannot have games like that officiated like that. And when the entire league, media, fans, Steelers fans are sitting there saying that taunting play on Cassius Marsh was a bunch of crap. And the NFL is going to sit there and be like, oh, no, that's a point of emphasis. You know, his posture and all that stuff. Enough with defending. Just admit your, your damn mistakes. That game was really poorly officiated and making it so much worse that the NFL is digging their heels in and pretending that it wasn't is just stupid. So it's another Bears loss, but... Most importantly, Justin Fields, best game of the year and a sign of things to come. Let's get to the break because when we get back, Adam Johns of The Athletic joins us. This is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Our, our guest this week, and we're excited to have him, he is Adam Johns of The Athletic, one of the big dogs on the Bears ah, beat, and he is nice on. enough to join us. <laughs> How you doing, Adam? Good, Bill. <laughs> I like that nickname, Big Dog, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Thank you, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, whether you want to admit it or not. So let's uh, let's jump into the Pittsburgh game uh, because there, you know, I like to do big picture a lot, but there is a lot to dissect from the Pittsburgh game, and I don't want to bury the the, the lead in in terms of positives, which of course is Justin Fields. And I don't think anyone would argue that this was his uh, that this was absolutely his best game. Uh, the second half was remarkable. The deep throws, the poise, the the drive to take the lead late in the game. What, how excited do you think Bears fans should be about Justin Fields and, and where he is right now? Uh, I think they should be very excited. Like, how could you not be? Like, you have to literally try your hardest to talk yourself out of being excited after watching that, right? Like, you got him in a moment, like an important football moment, right? Two-minute drill, game on the line. Doesn't just need a field goal but needs a touchdown in order to, to get his team that victory. And he delivered. Delivered in electric fashion, the 39-yarder to Allen Robinson, the, the, pass, the touchdown pass to Mooney, which I thought was even better. Like, how could you not be excited by that? Yes, you could argue they left too much time on the clock for Ben Roethlisberger. Fine, that's fair. But when he came on the field, when he walked on the field, 26 seconds left, and I said this on Hogan Johns, like, you felt almost confident, again, that he could deliver that field goal in that moment just because of the arm talent, because of what he's seeing, because of the progress. So if you're not excited by what you're seeing from Justin Fields after that game, that's on you. Like, you're, you're literally talking yourself out of being excited if that's the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. The, the throws were great. And it wasn't just the, the arm talent and some of the athleticism and some of the things that, that we knew were there, but it was just – kind of grasping the, the game as a whole and knowing exactly what to do with the football, you know, that, that the check to the A-Rob pass, you know, which, which was, was his decision, the Mooney throw, which was just an elite throw, but not only that, 
when you look at the all 22 angle, Mooney wasn't open and Fields threw it open. Him and him and Mooney adjusted yep. mid-play. What's that? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Yeah. So did they adjust to it? No, it's something they, they practiced a bit. And uh, Mooney said later it was part of the, the scramble drill. And I, I've been very critical about how the Bears run scramble drill, especially. But, I mean, it, it applies to Trubisky. Now it applies to Justin Fields. Like the receivers just have to be better at it. They have to be more aware of what's going on. But that's the best example of the progress being made in that important capacity of the offense. Yeah, because it, it, it's a it's it's a critical component, especially when you think about about Fields. Fields, you know, the way he was at Ohio State, and you know, I, I'm sure it'll improve. But Fields is not a one step drop, get rid of the ball quick. He's gonna he's gonna hold on to the ball a little bit longer. He's gonna look for deeper passes. That's just who he is. He's gonna use his athleticism to get out of issues sometimes in, in the pocket if he's holding onto the ball too long. So that scramble drill becomes ultra important. And, and I mean, how many times have we talked about over the last few years, and this isn't a knock on Mitch, because it doesn't matter who was in there, Mitch, Nick, Chase, it, do, it doesn't matter. The scramble drill was just always a problem. You just, you almost saw receivers standing around and watching the quarterback, you know, run out of the pocket. The, the, the improvements we're seeing there. Uh, and, and I don't know who to credit, whether that's, you know, laser or Nagy or, or Fury or whoever it might be, but the, the scramble drill has improved tremendously. Yeah, and there's opportunity for more plays. You watch it all 22 of really any game. There's going to be plays there. You know, even some of the misses that he's had to Allen Robinson, you know, the, the, the interceptions and whatnot. Like, there's opportunity for growth. Just like it's widespread growth, too. Not just, again, in that important component of the scramble drill, especially with Justin Fields, but across the board. And, again, he's coming off a really good game. So, to go back to your original question, if you're not excited about this, it's on you. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and last one there, and that's and that's just the progression here. And and obviously nothing's linear. And if you look statistically, the Detroit game was 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 one of his one of his better games. I think QBR it might have been his his highest game of the year. Um, you know, the Tampa game was one one of his lowest. But for the most part, you've basically seen incremental improvement. You know, slowly over the, the these first couple months here. That the San Francisco game, we you know saw a lot of positives there. Really took control with you know really using his athleticism and his legs to get first downs and and get 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 yardage, and, and now the Pittsburgh game. So the fact that we're seeing I don't want to call it linear progression, but pretty steady progression, positive. You know you 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 have this hope here on the second half of the season. I understand the Bears have a poor record, and and we're not sure exactly you know what's going to happen at the end of the year. But you have a hope that this this Pittsburgh game isn't like the game will circle about his rookie season. It, it, it's almost a jumping off point to see what he can do in the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at some of those defenses, um, even starting with the Ravens, because everybody thinks Ravens strong defense. They're, they're not. They're, they're pretty vulnerable if you look at some of the advanced statistics. Um, Justin Fields should have some pretty big days. Um, now, whether or not he does it, that's on him. It's on Bill Lazor. That's on Matt Nagy. That's on his receivers. Again, that's it's layered. A quarterback success is always very layered, but some of these offense or some of these defenses, sorry, that he's going to face in the in the final eight games, like he should be able to be successful against. And that applies to really any quarterback, but to continue to build on this, to find more confidence building throws, to build that rapport with his receivers on a scramble drill, he's gonna have opportunities to do that against some pretty porous defenses. Now some of them are pretty opportunistic, but 
you know, there there's room for growth, and there's defenses that will allow that growth to happen again. Yeah, a- absolutely. And you know, one of his uh, one of his weapons is is Cole Komet, who's you know kind of been you know we've been seeing slight improvement here there. The blocking's been excellent, but you know hasn't you know slight improvements in the passing game in terms of being utilized the last few weeks. And then we see a jump from Cole this week. I know you've been a big supporter of, of, of Cole Komet and, and a lot of the work you've done. I've criticized him at points. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I still have concerns about his, his overall athleticism and, and what special skills he might have and be able to utilize, especially in the red zone. But I'm not going to lie. Really pleased with what I saw out of Cole Komet. But like I said, the blocking I think is, has been there and has been improving and is, is, is a good part of this offense, but now looks like he might be opening up in the passing game as well. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think sometimes Cole Komet, now this isn't a criticism of you. This is me even getting on my podcast partner, Adam Hogue. Like I just think he's easy to pick on sometimes, right? You know, he, he was a second round pick or, or look at it this way. The bears first pick, of last year's draft, the first tight end taken, some of the players taken after him. You look at Claypool from Pittsburgh, had been more productive than him, more more electric in their playmaking skills than him. And we all know playmaker just in general is a neat position, regardless of its you know a slot receiver or um, an outside receiver or, or even just a you know move tight end. Obviously, the Bears need playmakers. I just think he's easy to pick on because of his draft status. Um, I, I do see growth. I, I do see development. I do see a quarterback who has to grow with him. So I try not to get too carried away with the criticism because I've, I've criticized him too. Like, you need to get him the ball. Why isn't he open? Why isn't he um, creating separation? But I do see progress. I do know that position can be a little bit more difficult at the NFL level, regardless of his pedigree at Notre Dame. It could be more difficult. That's just how it is. And truthfully, he's caught up in one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Now it's getting a little bit better. There's, there's signs of growth. But, you know, Allen Robinson's not producing. I think it all – we're all pretty safe in our consensus there that he's a pretty darn good receiver. Like, why is he not producing? I think some of it's just because you have a young rookie quarterback learning how to be a quarterback at the NFL level and – the Bears just happen to have one of the worst offenses in the NFL. That's just it. <laughs> it is a it is a perfect storm of problems there, 100%. Flip, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, defense obviously has not been what we saw for that good uh, four or five game stretch there in, the, in the, the middle of the first half. Is this a people are figuring out what Desai wants to do, or is this no Khalil Mack, no Eddie Jackson, other injuries as well, and this – Bears defense doesn't have enough depth to keep up with offenses. Yeah, sometimes you just have to look at the personnel. You know, like, I think a good example is the Bears getting the Steelers in an early, you know, third and long. And then there's a one-on-one matchup between Kendall Vildor and Chase Claypool. And Chase Claypool wins that matchup. You know, it's the rookie tight end. Um, Pat Fruruth, I, I completely butchered his last name, but the kid from Penn State winning his one-on-one in the end zone against Kimville Vildor, you know, eventually sometimes it just comes down to that. You know, you need your players, your starting players to step up in those moments. And sometimes they are just who you are, who they are, you know, like Kimville Vildor is a fine fifth round pick. He could be a good slot corner because of his size, but he's the Bears. He's the Bears starting outside cornerback opposite, opposite Jalen Johnson. You know teams are going to try to get their matchups against them, and sometimes you just have to win them. 
sometimes he's just who he is. He's not the biggest guy. He's feisty. He plays tough, but he doesn't have the size sometimes. It's just what it is sometimes. When you're down the starting DeAndre Houston Carson, playing T. Tavor, and you're playing Travis Gibson and Sam Kamara, and uh, Cassius Marsh is a story, you know, because of his taunting penalty, but Cassius Marsh is a story because he's playing, you know, like. <laughs> right. That's who, the, that's who the Bears are down to. Eventually, you know, you are who your talent says you are. And let's face it, this isn't the 2018 defense. They're down to, I don't know, maybe role players as their starters right now. And, you know, you, you can't coach them up all the time, you know. Like, you look at that final game-winning drive for the Steelers. You know, Duke Shelley blew his coverage. Kendall Vodor blew his coverage. Wrong call, maybe, but everybody else seemed to be in the right places. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think at some point, you know, the personnel has to be questioned. I think Sean Desai, like his defense actually made key stops when needed. Like, just think about after that March penalty. They, like, that's a win for the defense in holding Chris Boswell to a 52-yard field goal. Like, that was a win for the defense. You know, Justin Fields answers after that. So they got stopped against the Steelers, but – at some point, you are who your talent says you are, and the Bears don't have enough right now in defense. A lot of that's because of inexperience. A lot of that's because of drafting, and a lot of that, number one, is because of the injuries, at, you know, for Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson, even Al Goldwater. Yeah, no, there's there's been a, a lot of injuries on the defense, and it's 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 really put them in a, in a position where, the you know. The, the talent on the defense to me has always been really uneven where you've got, you know, Mac and, you know, Hicks when he's healthy and, and Roquan and, 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 you know, Rob, Robert Quinn to his credit this year and, and, you know, Jalen and, and Jack, you know, you've got these really high end guys and those high end guys need to be out there because they need to cover for Kindle Vildor, Duke Shelley, you know, whoever's playing the other safety, although Deandre Houston Carson has made some, some plays when he's gotten the opportunities. So there, I think there's a lot of holes in that defense that Desai and the extremely talented players have been able to cover, you know, that the pass rush was was so good for so so long that, yeah, it was covering for for Vildor and, and, and guys like that. And when those guys can't produce because they're either playing through injuries or just out completely, it just feels like to me the whole defense crumbles and then there's nothing Desai can do. Yeah, you know what? Just go look at – you know, I, I had this in an article that the coverage stats that Pro Football Reference um, details greatly. Oh, the Vildor stats uh, are really bad on that defense. one. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. They're, they're bad. You know, I don't, I don't like passer rating um, as a stat, but they're easy to to use when you're looking at coverage stats, right? Because QBR can be tough because you can't really factor, factor that in. Um, you know, opposing quarterbacks. I think the the number is 147.2 or 147.7, something like that. It's right. It's right around averaging against. Yeah, it's what they're averaging throwing against Kendall Vildor. Like Duke Shelley is like 60 point. Not sorry, Jalen Johnson's like 60 points lower than that. Um, Duke Shelley, it's over 100. Um, You can even say Eddie Jackson's over 100, but you know, um, like here's the point of Eddie Jackson too. Like I know people are unhappy with the season he's having. But, man, he's missed. I don't care what you say. He's missed when you're down to – I know you, what you said about DHC, DeAndre Houston Carson, but he's still their third-string safety. You know, Eddie Jackson's still your starter. He's missed. Um, it is what it is personnel-wise at this point, and, you know, coaching can only cover up so much of it, you know, just like you said. 
Yeah, and 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 that's it. Like you said, Eddie Eddie Jackson is a presence that you know that opposing offenses are going to be cognizant of and try and avoid and, and whatever, because we, we know what he can do when he has the opportunity to, you know, in essence, what I say, play center field and, and go after the ball. But, you know, he's, he's a presence out there when he's not out there, it opens it up where you're like, all right, you can just avoid Jalen and go basically anywhere else you want in the secondary. And, and like you said, the Vildor coverage stats, I agree. Passer rating isn't, you know, you, you can go 10 for 11 for 20 yards and have like a hundred quarterback rating. So, you know, it, it's a flawed stat, but at the same time, the perfect quarterback rating is like 158.3 and, and Vildor is literally just about 10 points below that. You just, you just can't have that and have a successful defense, but uh, let me switch over to officiating. Cause you brought up Marsh and, and obviously not just bears fans, not just bears media, but the, 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 the that call was a national story about taunting and, and what, you know, the the point of emphasis that officials are, are trying to make, you know, I don't want to say the Bears lost that game because of officiating because they did shoot themselves in the foot on, on several occasions as well. But, you know, and credit to them, a lot of those really bad calls, they did seem to overcome most of the time and still get the next first down, get points whatever it might be, but the officiating 100%, you can make the argument that they lost the game because of it. You can make the art and it's not an argument that it put them in a difficult position. A lot of times on a lot of questionable calls. Uh, I want to get into the taunting play specifically, but overall was that game, one of the lesser officiated games in terms of, you know, uh, how it should have been called that you've seen in some time. Oh, it's, it was absolutely brutal, Bill. Absolutely brutal. Like, and I, I'm not a guy who likes to harp on the officiating. Like, eventually, like, I, I'm a believer, like, this works out both ways. You know, there's bad calls that work both ways. You know, there's fortunate calls that work both ways. Like, I, I, I don't know. I've always believed that it evens out eventually for all teams, right? Um, but it wasn't just the disparity in, in penalties against the Bears. Like, um, like, it's like the sheer number of them compared to what the Steelers had called against them. Like, of course, that favored the Steelers. But it was like the point swings that came that came with it, right? Like, you're talking about points coming off the board. Um, like, you could arguably say that, like, seven points can be attributed to, like, what happened with the penalties. You know, it, it's the giving the Steelers the first down after the Marsh penalty, you know, like, which turned into three points. So there's three points right there. Then you had this James Daniels low block where it even hit the guy. Like, I get that, like, I don't like low blocks, right? I understand why they call those, you know, defenders need to be defended in a sense, right? Like, but he even touched the guy. And by rule, I think he was still within the box where those, you know, those types of blocks are allowed. So I don't know what he was seeing there. I think that's even worse than the taunting penalty, to be honest with you, because that took four points off the board for the Bears. You know, they scored a touchdown in that play, the penalty that was called to James Daniels. So now you're talking about, you know, with the Chris Boswell field goal, and then you have the four points taken off the board from the Jimmy Graham touchdown. It's seven points right there that was lost for the Bears. So they have every right to be upset. They have every right to turn a whole long list of plays into the league. They should be furious. Um, Again, I don't like pointing out penalties. I'm not that type of guy, but when it's that obvious and and it's that, like – like, it's so easy to see. Again, obvious fits that, but like, like, what are we doing here? Like, like, what's what's going on? It, it was just absolutely brutal to me. I didn't like it whatsoever. Um, Marsh thing. I, I don't know. He could he could go on a long tangent and debate about this. Like, 
come on, that's not taunting. Like, when you're using the word posturing, which isn't even in a darn rule book, like, seriously, you're just making this stuff up as you go. I get it's a point of emphasis, but, you know, let's use common sense here. You know, let's not ruin the great game of football because you're trying to have a point of emphasis. So that was a bunch of crap to me. Yeah, it really was. And it wasn't just the calls they made. It was the calls they didn't make. I mean, I understand you can't sneeze on a quarterback in, in, in 2021. We want to protect the quarterback. I say, OK, let's protect the quarterback then. But don't let Justin Fields get drilled on multiple occasions where he's. Yeah. I mean, you, you have, have some, you know, don't don't pull the and, and not that they said this, but always oh, a rookie, you know, so he's, he's not going to get the calls yet. That's that's a bunch of baloney. You, if, if you're going to have set rules, you have to have set rules. And they did not protect fields in that game either. Uh, but but just uh, on the marsh play and, you know, I, I work for Mad Dog Radio. I'm the executive producer. So Chris Russo was on and he was he was blasting the, the officials for, for that play as well. And, and what he said is, if you want to make that call in the first quarter. To, to say, hey, we're not, this is taunting. We're not going to allow this. But at that junction of the game, and I understand in theory, calls are calls no matter at what point in the game, but I, I don't think that's true. I don't think anyone really thinks that's true, that they'll make the same calls in the first and fourth quarter. But in, in that case, to go that questionable of a, a taunting call and, and to say that that's worse, and I get it that when defenses celebrate in the end zone, there's no other players around, so that's why it's allowed. But to say you can you can row a boat, play hopscotch, play, you know, leapfrog, whatever you want to do in the end zone, and you can't look at a sideline for three seconds. Well, you know, I just to me, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I don't want to go to this point. But when you see someone like Chris Sims say that when he was playing and he was playing, a, he was quarterbacking a game that Carrenti was um, was refing. And he said, you know, he, Sims got hit. He didn't like it. He said, that's an effing roughing penalty. Carrenti apparently got uh, annoyed. And according to Sims, stopped telling him when they were back from commercial break the rest of the game. And when Sims finally called him on and said, you're not giving me the heads up, he goes, well, you haven't apologized. Now, if that's oh, a true story, man. that's something you can you cannot have officials holding potential grudges in, in games. No. And, you know, I, I just to me, I don't understand how Carunti could be getting big assignments. You know, it, it's. And it's the hip check too, right? Like I've never seen that before. Yeah, never right. seen he's that stuck, before. He's like stuck his hip out. Like, like you're like, and, and again, like if you're calling it for what he did to the Steelers sideline, which looked to be I don't know 10, 12 yards away from where Grancy was standing, and he didn't throw the the actual flag for what he thought was posturing until he came to Cassius Marsh came around him and then he then Carente turned his hip and, and into him like it just felt like it's too coincidental for me like I, I don't know what's going on there like you, you hate to make like you know accuse a ref of being that way but when there's like video when there's video of actual contact and the players are upset about it, about it you know Marsh was visibly upset about it and you you see what players are hitting likes on and tweets about it. Like, obviously the players feel wrong in this, and, and I'm siding with them. Like, it's just too coincidental. You know, like, it's just, it's just off to me. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I agree completely. And, you know, like I said, you know, trying to be consistent about calls, T.J. Watt blew a kiss to the sidelines you know, to the Bears' sidelines, and that was not taunting, but what Marsh did, it just, there's there's no consistency there, and yeah, I, I'm with you, the Bears, 
the from you know McCaskey all the way down to the 53rd guy on that team should be uh should be upset on how that game was officiated. So I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but can't at this point in the junction of the season, now that we're especially we're in the second half of the season, talk about Matt Nagy and, and Ryan Pace. Um, so let, let me do this in, in a two-part question because I asked this kind of similar Kevin Fishbane I had on last week, your athletic partner, and um he uh you know he had some interesting things to say about how fields could technically save these guys depending on how he plays and then we see the pittsburgh game following following that comment but do you think we'll start here do you think pace and Nagy are joined at the hip no matter what either they both stay or both go or do you think there is room where one could stay and one could go i think there is definitely room um i just don't think like the a GM search is a lot different than a head coaching search. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think the Bears want to do both. I, I, I really strongly believe that, that they don't want to do both. Now, criticize me for believing that or criticize the Bears for not being able to separate the two. But I think at some point, you can't. You, you really can. You can separate the coaching decisions from the personnel decisions. And I just ripped the defensive personnel. But if you trusted Ryan Pace, trade up. Trade up for Justin Fields at number 11. Then at some point, I think you have to ask yourself, do I trust him to build around him? You know, and I think the Bears can convince themselves of that. You know, now, the, like, building around him is also developing around him. Like, that's where the conversation, the conversations, I think, shift a little bit. You know, like, are you happy with the development of Justin Fields from the standpoint of the coaching he's receiving? Like, I think that's a different conversation. And that's layer two. I keep using that. That's Jazzy Filippo. That's Bill Lazor all the way up to Matt Nagy. You know, like, there's so many layers to this. So I think if you're the Bears, you can talk yourselves into separating the two at some point. Maybe they already have. I don't know. But you can reach a point in your evaluation of this team where you could separate the GM and coach and have them have different fates in terms of their future. Now, let, let, let me ask you this one. This, this is one I've never seen someone like yourself or Biggs or, or anyone on the beat, uh, anyone really tied to the team even suggest this, but this is a really popular one on Twitter. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it up to you anyway. Could you see McCaskey making a decision where Ryan Pace gets a different title? Let's call it president of football operations. So he's still there. He's still involved in anything they might be doing with Arlington Heights. You know, I know they love what he did with Hallis Hall. So he's still kind of doing big picture. He still has some obvious say in what the the football operations is doing. But then they, whether you elevate a GM like Champ Kelly or, or bring someone else in for that general manager title where he's a little more hands off, could you see them doing something like that with Ryan Pace? You know, so I, I've had that suggestion on our show and. I think it starts with uh, McCaskey's openness for change because he is articulated in the past how much he likes the structure, like the organizational structure of his team. You know, like Ryan Pace is in charge of all football operations, but he still reports to the president, who was Ted Phillips. Like he has articulated his strong preference for that. So he would, he would have to break that preference. He would have to change his mind and how he wants his team run. Um, is he there yet? I don't know. But when you're not winning, I think you have to be open to, to, to all changes. And I know they get an affinity for Ryan Pace. I, I, I believe that. Like, and I don't think that's changed. 
I think they liked what he's done in terms of modernizing their football operations, modernizing their building, and I'm sure they'd like his input on their new stadium in Arlington Heights. So I think there is value in Ryan Pace, or they see value in keeping Ryan Pace around, but they'd have to change their preference for what they want their organization to be. And on top of that, if they did do that, like this was in the other part of my suggestion, I think you need to tell Ryan Pace if you're hiring the next GM, that person has to come from outside the organization. Like you need to have a different viewpoint of your team because I think fresh ideas are good for your team. It has to come out from it has to come from outside. That person has to come from outside the team. You can keep Champ Kelly, you can keep Josh Lucas, you can keep all the guys that you like, but that or that that hire has to come from outside the team. Well, then, and let, let me let me ask you this then about Matt Nagy. Put Ryan Pace aside. If Justin Fields, like we said earlier, this isn't a, a a circle of the game, you know, peak performance from Fields, but rather a jumping off point, and we do continue to see progression over the next eight games, but the Bears aren't winning games for whatever reason. Finish the year, let's say six and eleven or, or seven and ten. Is the Fields progression? Without the wins, without the playoff appearance, do you think there's any way Matt Nagy keeps his job in that scenario? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, how could you not, you know, have that be an option on the table? You know, they're, they're going to win some more games. I know they're in the middle of a four-game losing streak. I know they had a six-game losing streak last year. But they're going to win some ball games. You know, they may even upset a team or two. Like, just, you know, they got close to doing it on Monday Night Football. You know, they really did. They weren't that far behind the Packers. Like, it's... They're going to be in games, and there is value in continuity. And if the Bears, I'm talking about Ted Phillips and George McCaskey, and in this case, in this scenario, even Ryan Pace, if, if they see continuity as valuable for Justin Fields, valuable for the next step of his development, because let's face it, you fire your coach, you bring a new offensive scheme, you know, there's all sorts of different scenarios to consider on the table here, right? But if you value continuity, and there is value in that in the NFL, you know, the Bears have talked at length about it, then yes, Matt Nagy can stay if Justin Fields is playing well. That scenario has to be strongly, has to be strongly considered. As much as people don't want to hear it on the outside, inside, at Hallis Hall, you have to consider it. Oh, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. And I've said I've said that to a couple people, and you know the you know the Twitter. There's not a lot of gray areas. <laughs> you can get people angry in our. No. But uh, if if they do move on with Nagy, let me just ask you what what you don't have to go through the whole list. But is there a, a candidate out there? You know, if there's let's let's just say an offensive coordinator that you sit there and go, that's the guy that you know. If if Matt Nagy's not here, that's the guy that can really utilize Justin Fields' skill set. Whether it's it's Dayball, whether it's Roman. You know, Brady, uh, Kellen Moore. Is is there someone in particular that, that stands out to you? You know, I think there's like two points of view on this. Like um, we, we talked about this with Robert Mays and um, Nate Tice a little bit. Like you just go to a guy who knows who he is and what he wants to do. Like Kellen Moore, you know, like the offensive philosophies are ingrained and he, and he got the system down. Like you look at the Bears' offensive system. I don't even know if it is a system. It's just a uh, – an assembly of different parts of different offenses, you know, which, which is fine. But, 
do you find a guy who's good at doing that? Like a Greg Rowland, you know, a guy who could go from a Joe Flacco to, you know, um, a Lamar Jackson. You know, guys who are flexible with what they want to do. Guys who have shown the ability to be innovative, to be um, creative, to, 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 to adjust. So, um, truthfully, though, like, how about this, Bill? Like, how about you just find the best leader? Like, the guy that, you know, values accountability. The guy who knows what he wants to be identity-wise on the top. That's just offense. But have the identity of what they want to be as a team. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I just think of the Steelers, and, you know, and, and they just they know what they are as an organization, right? Like, they know what they want to be. I don't think the Bears truly know what they want to be. And they talk about learning and adjusting, you know, and, you know, being what the, an offense that takes what the defense gives you, all this crap. You know what I mean? But, like, you look at some of these best teams, like, they know what they want to be as a team, as an organization. And I think that starts with the head coach. Um, we'll see. Like, just find the best leader. And I know that sounds cliche, you know, and I think that opens it up for more candidates, but. You know, I just think just come, maybe it's just recency bias coming off of what the, the Steelers are, but I think there's value in having a head coach, having an organization, know what they want to be philosophically as a team in, in itself, you know, in general. All right. Well, there he is, the big dog, Adam Johns, The Athletic. Adam, thanks for so much time. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the bye week. Thank you, Bill. Hopefully the, uh, you didn't hear too much rain as I, as I drive around. Uh, the city of Chicago. Right no, it's, it was it was great. Thank you, Adam. Anytime, Bill. There he is, Adam Johns of the Athletic. Lo- love that spot. Adam, Adam was really good there. A lot, really opinionated. Love love Adam sitting there and and basically calling the officiating BS and and give giving a lot of good stuff about what's going on with the Bears so far this season. But look, and, and this is not what anyone wants to hear when the Bears are losing games and they're well below 500. But this is two people who know this organization well, back-to-back weeks, Kevin Fishbane and Adam Johns. And they have both told you now, both told you that they don't think that change is imminent at Ad Hallis Hall with Pace or Nagy. And, and that's, and, and there you go. Now, now, Fishbane thought it was a little more that they were joined at the hip because of how much they were in January. Johnsy gives you a little bit of a, a different feel there that that pace is far more safe than Nagy. But it, it makes you think. like, And that's the one thing. like What, what George McCaskey basically laid out, they got to get a quarterback and they got to make the playoffs. Like That was his goal for that duo. And it looks like they found the quarterback. And he's 22 years old, which is remarkable that that's happened. And all they had to do was give up one additional first-round pick, basically, to make it happen. I know there's some mid-round picks, but basically, that's what it comes down to. It's next year's first-round pick for Justin Fields. So the fact that they found the quarterback, how much does the other stuff disappear? How much can they sit there and say, the officials stole the Pittsburgh game? If we had Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson, that defense wouldn't have collapsed in the second half of the San Francisco game. Can they convince George that the wins would have been there under better circumstances? And if they do win some games, if they do upset some teams, because look, you know, so they got three wins right now, you know, and you can't sit there and circle games, but you know, the Giants is a winnable game. And, you know, the Vikings twice, they should be able to win at least one of those games. And they've got Detroit again, and that's clearly a winnable game as Detroit's winless. So there's 
opportunity for wins. And if they sit there and potentially on national TV against a team like Green Bay or, or Minnesota on that Monday night football game, you know, they've got Arizona coming up. If they do something special in December when it's quote unquote coming together for Justin Fields and the rest of this team, I definitely think there's a chance that these guys can get extended because they can sit there and say, forget this year, George. We found the quarterback. We've got an all-pro caliber guy who's going to be quarterbacking your team for the next 15 years. We're going to be selling out games for 15 years because Chicago Bears fans are going to fill that stadium, whether it's in Chicago or whether it's in Arlington Heights, to watch Justin Fields play and we'll build up the team around him now. I don't think they are definitely gone. I think the fact that Johns is telling you, and Johns, I think, is more plugged into Hallis Hall than potentially anyone else. You know, Big Biggs is really good with, with agents and, and getting little pieces of information. He's probably the number one info guy on the beat. But I think Johns is probably the most plugged into Hallis Hall on the beat. And when he's telling you that he thinks Ryan Pace is safe, Ryan Pace might be safe, guys. So, and if Ryan Pace is safe, I, I think more people are more concerned about Matt Nagy. But look, Ryan Pace may, you know, anyways, <laughs> there's a lot to, lot to dissect there. But bottom line is there is, you know, I, I think Bears Twitter, especially, and a little bit in local media and local talk, show, talk shows, there's some of this foregone conclusion attitude for Matt Nagy being fired. And Ryan Pace's name doesn't come up as much, but it's but Matt Nagy's gonna be fired. There, you know, there's there's no doubt in my mind, kind of thing. Eh. George McCaskey and the Bears do things a lot differently than a lot of other organizations. So I really think you know things are up in the air. I know there were reports. I don't know if you want to call them reports. I think probably rumors that the Bears were already vetting head coaching candidates. I think that is putting the cart so far in front of the horse right now in terms of what's going on at Hallis Hall. So I would be very very careful about that one. So, nah, Bears got a bye week. That is an important bye week for them. Let's get Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson back on the field healthy. Let's get Akeem Hicks back on the field. I know he missed most of that, that Pittsburgh game. Let's get the defense healthy, and let's see if the Bears can shock the world here against the Baltimore Ravens if Justin Fields can build off this Pittsburgh game. That would be something exciting for sure. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. We will be back next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.